I want to get directly into the Word of God, and I want to uh, talk just a little bit about some things that I think are extraordinarily important in the day that we live in right now. Part of my responsibility as a pastor is not to just get up and preach the Word of God each Sunday. That is part of it. There are a number of things that that pastors do. What you see me do here is maybe 5% of what actually goes on in my life in the the course of a week related to my calling. But you don't do this right, then the rest of it doesn't, you know, it doesn't impact people the way they should. And you don't do the rest of it right. Then what you do in these 5% of the hours you spend in a week, it won't have much impact either. Uh, Pastors are supposed to smell like sheep. Shepherds should always smell like they've been around their flock. I love being with people. And on that note, after the the service, I always enjoy meeting people in the lobby. If you're visiting with us today, we would love to meet you. And I got to get into the word of God. But a part of my role is to make you aware of what's going on in this world and how that relates to God's prophetic clock of events that both have to do with you, your family, you know, your community, this nation, but also the rest of the world. And a couple of weeks ago, I preached from the subject, used the question, what time is it? And I'm going to read there again uh, in just one second. Uh, But uh, again, I want to mention Ralphina Dodson. She's an amazing lady. And the great shout, she's been doing that faithfully for 25 years, if you can come and participate with her. But Romans 13, verse 11, and do this. You don't have to do everything, but you need to do this. Knowing the time, that's what will enable you to be more effective in what you're supposed to do. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for this right here. That's directly in contradiction to the philosophy the world is currently embracing and pursuing. It's always about me, me, what I want, I, my, I, perpendicular pronoun. Notice how the use of the perpendicular pronoun has spiked in recent years. That's because there's such a focus On us. Paul said what we should remain focused on is the Lord Jesus Christ. And stop trying to satisfy this stuff right here. And give it everything it wants. Because it will get you into trouble. And everybody wants to blame the enemy when we're the ones who make the decisions. Right? Oh, you know that's true. Amen. And he laughs at us because all he does is get us to believe that we're entitled. We have the right to do what we want to do. 
So, Father, I ask you to speak to us and help us to discern in these moments what you expect of us. And speak to our hearts and open your word to our understanding. Thank you for every person that is here today, those who are watching. Thank you for your incredible love for us. We do have a lot to be thankful for. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God's promises to Israel parallel those to his church. Have you ever noticed that? There are all these promises in the Bible to Israel. But when you dig into them, the scripture is amazingly multi-layered in depths of meaning. Uh, Jewish rabbis say that every word of God has 70 faces and 600 levels of interpretation. That is profound. So you see the obvious interpretation and many people never go beyond that and seek any deeper understanding. But as you continue to dig deeper into the word of God, you will find there are levels of meaning that we will never be able to exhaust in this lifetime. Romans 9 points out how that the promises to Israel also relate to the church. Paul is writing verses 4 and 5. He spoke of the Israelites who he said, Are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. Thank God that he is. Amen. And he is eternally blessed. And so we say amen to that. Now, I want you to notice the eight things that Paul identifies in these two verses One is that the Jewish people, the ones to whom pertain the adoption, two, the glory of God, three, the covenants were made with them, four, they were given the law, five, the service of God centered around the tabernacle and the ordinances of worship were given to them and they were authorized and anointed, specifically one tribe was to carry out the service of God. Number six, the promises of the Old Testament were made to Jewish people. They came from Jewish prophets, in fact, as God spoke through them. Number seven, the nation of Israel is of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it is itself a fulfillment of promise. And then the eighth thing, eight, eight being the number of new beginnings, is of course, Paul says, from whom That is, from among Abraham's descendants came Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So everything started all over again with Christ. In him we have new beginnings, and I thank God that we do. Anzio mentioned that just a moment ago. None of us are perfect in ourselves, and we all should learn to be transparent with God in that regard because it's important to our future and our relationship with God that we understand that our strength is in him, not in us. I want to say that and emphasize that. As God's church, however, every one of these promises apply to us. For example, we're adopted into God's family. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry. Paul's writing to Roman believers, Abba, Father. Amen. Number two, as Israel did, we have access to the manifest glory of God. But in a way that excels that, 
that Israel was able to enjoy. Only the high priest could go into the manifest presence of God and then only one day a year for a few moments. But we read there is a day coming, Haggai 2.9, when the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. There is the covenant of blood. They were given the covenants. We've been given the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8.6. I believe it was probably Paul, but he writes, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And then in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Listen to this about the blood. Like silver or gold from your aimless, meandering conduct, leading you nowhere in your life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with you were rather redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Somebody needs to just shout, thank God for the blood. That was pretty tepid. Uh, somebody needs to shout, thank God for the blood. Amen. Number four, we live under the law of grace. Israel lived under the law of Moses, Romans 7, 11, for sin taken occasion by the commandment. That's the law of Moses. The Bible said, deceived me, Paul is writing, and by it killed me. Galatians 3, 13, Christ has redeemed us. That's me and you, Paul is writing to Gentile believers from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We could go to Ephesians 2, 8, where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The fifth thing that Paul enumerated in that text that I read a moment ago was that according to Israel uh, and their mandate, they were to follow the prescribed ordinances of worship and minister to the Lord. But you and I, not being a part of Levi, not even many of us, perhaps most of us, maybe only a few of us actually having a bloodline that could be traced back to Jewish ancestry, each of us are still, nonetheless, because of Christ, according to Peter 2, 9 through 10, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if that's not enough to make you glad, listen to the next verse. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy. Somebody ought to give God some praise. But now have obtained mercy. Am I talking to anybody in this house that God's mercy found you when you had no right to come anywhere near the cross? God reached out to you. He went looking for you. Oh, I hear people say all the time, when I found God, I like to remind people, you, he wasn't lost. It was me and you who were lost. We didn't find him. He found us. Amen. The seventh thing Paul talks about is that to the Jews, 
They can trace their ancestry back to Abraham for they are from his lineage. But according to Galatians 3 and 29, that wall of partition that separated Israel from us was torn down in Christ. And Paul writes, if you are Christ, then you, I'm talking to every one of us in this building. If we belong to Christ, if we have surrendered our lives to him, we According to Paul's writing, are Abraham's seed. Did you get that? Because there are promises in the Word of God that were made to Abraham's seed. I need somebody to declare, I've got a promise. Would you do that? God has spoken over my life. And the eighth thing that Paul talked about was that Jesus came. From among us as human beings. And he really did. And that's astonishing. Because he was both fully human. And fully God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Is 1 Timothy 3.16. Do you know how it goes? You ought to read it. It says without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. I love the fact that when we could not reach up to God, God came down to be with us. Emmanuel, we're about to enter the Christmas season. Is there anybody besides me that would like to just say, thank you for coming down to be one of us. To live where we live. To walk where we have walked. And do walk to this day. It's amazing. Because without turning his back on physical Israel. God in these passages identifies us as spiritual Israel. And one of the prominent signs of the end will be when Jewish people. Begin to cry out to God for the Messiah. That they rejected 2000 years ago. And they will cry out that he will come and save them. That will be the cry of their heart. And God is going to cause their blinded eyes to open. In the meanwhile, you and I stepped into grace because they rejected Jesus. And as I said a couple of Sundays ago, don't be telling me that Jews killed Christ. They didn't. I did. You did. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. It was even Romans that drove the nails, not Jewish people. Christ died that we could be saved. And you and I would have had no right of access to God had they not denied him. But in the last days, what time is it? I'll tell you what it is. In the last days, God is going to cause the nation of Israel to be born again. Now, Jesus talked about that. I don't have time to relitigate that, re-represent that to you, represent that to you rather. But, but you and I know that when Jesus talked about the signs of the last days, literally, it was only a few years later that Israel was destroyed as a nation. It ceased to exist in the catalog of nations. Oh, there were always Jewish people who have lived in that part of the world uh, since from that time till now. But God specifically promised that in the last days there would be a modern nation of Israel. And when that nation was engaged in conflict and all nations were gathered against it, that in their desperation they will cry, Messiah, come and save us. And when they do, 
God is going to answer and the Messiah will appear and deliver them. Now, what is significant about that? Please stay with me so I can get through this. Is that after Jesus said it and the nation disappeared as a political entity, it was impossible for these passages to come to pass. Now then, most of us in this building have been born since Israel became a nation May 14, 1948. I was born after that. You were born, most of us in this room, after that fact. Here's what happens. We establish that as our construct, that Israel has always been there. Why? Because it was there when I got here. It means it's always here. And no, it doesn't. The problem is they don't teach history the way they used to in our schools in many, many places. And do you know there were people that ridiculed the Bible, held it up for skeptical review by saying there is a scripture that proves the Bible is incorrect because the Jewish people never welcomed their Messiah and they were destroyed before they could. And Jesus never came back. And then all of a sudden, May 14, 1948, Israel reappears as a nation. And suddenly there was a collective, a collective gasp that was heard around the world as the prophetic time clock began ticking. Now, I want you to know that with the current events that are going on, I'm not here predicting when Jesus will come. They may get all of that straightened out. I hope they do. We know that right now they're in a ceasefire that's going to last several days and a few hostages are being released. But you also know that they're threatening that as soon as this this ceasefire is over, they're going in, they said, to carry on the battle and eliminate Hamas. And I've asked you to pray for both sides in that conflict. I have great compassion for everybody involved. But again, I'm not going to relitigate what I preach because God tells us who the land belongs to. But do you know that in the middle of all of this, there is a cry that is coming out of Jewish hearts for the Messiah. I'm going to play a brief clip. This is of the same gentleman that I played a clip from a couple of weeks ago. I'd love for you to look it up, find the whole song. I'm, I'm not going to be able to play the whole thing. I even have to be careful how I use that so I don't in any way contradict uh, my rights of usage in the service here this morning. But his name is Abraham Fried, and he's one of the most popular Jewish singers in the world. And he's leading, this is not the same group that you saw a couple of weeks ago, because that was men and women. Notice this one, there are thousands of just men. These are rabbinical students and rabbis, and they're people that are standing up for their spiritual responsibility to their family by asking God to please come. And they're they're praying to him. And the text of the song is taken from 2 Samuel 7, 13 through 15. You'll hear it in just a moment. But it's the famous passage where David prays after God tells him, no, you can't build a house, but I'll let your son build one. And I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. And my mercy shall never depart from him. Back to those 600 levels of interpretation. Most of us read that and think, oh, that was fulfilled in Solomon, right? Yes, but keep going. 
because there are other layers. That is also a prophecy to the nation of Israel because God called Israel his son and said, I took him by the hands and taught him to walk. So God is saying that I will never fully leave the nation of Israel and I will be to them a father and be to them a son. But then another level, and I could give you 10 of them right now, but let me just hit a couple, is that when Christ came, who was he? What did Bartimaeus cry outside Jericho? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Because Christ has always been taught in Jewish theology to be the son of David. So now we have another layer of complexity. It wasn't just talking about Solomon. It wasn't just talking about Israel. It was talking about the coming Messiah that was rejected and cut off according to Daniel in the first century AD. But God's not done yet because what did God say in his prophecy to David? I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son and my mercy shall never depart from him. That has prophetic significance that extends all the way to this present moment over the nation of Israel, but it also has significance in that the Messiah that they're praying for is the son of David. Just watch this quickly, if you would, and then I'm going to wrap up. He shall build a house for my name. A house for me he shall build. But my mercy shall not depart from him. My mercy shall not depart from him. I'm reading it in case you can't see it in the back. He shall build a house for my name. A house for me he shall build. But my mercy shall not depart from him. I will be to him a father. Shall be to me a son. That's enough. Thank you. Now here's my point. I saw more emotion and passion for God in that clip than you will see in the average church on a Sunday morning among Christians. And they don't even know our Messiah. But they're crying and praying for relationship. And now in the middle of the war that has escalated. I'm going to conclude by pointing out a few things. The Hebrew language is fascinating. If you've studied anything in Hebrew. And we have some who study Hebrew here. You will know that God spoke the worlds into existence. The rabbis claim using Hebrew, it is the first language ever uttered in this universe. It is still the prayer language of Jewish people. Doesn't mean you need to go out and learn to speak it or read it or anything like that because Christ is the fulfillment 
of all of the things they are yet trying to see happen. And when he comes back, the Bible says that they're literally going to look at him and say, how did you get these wounds in your hands and in your feet? That's a reference to the one we worship. And he's going to say, these are the wounds wherewith I was wounded in the house of my friends. And the Bible said, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. Wow. You say, well, why does the Hebrew thing even matter? I'll tell you why. Because we go by the Gregorian calendar that was developed in 1582 by Pope Gregory the 13th. You may not even know that. So it's been in use less than, what, 500 years And the Hebrews still use the Hebrew calendar that was developed, guess when? The night that Moses led Israel out of Egypt, 3,500 years ago. You say, well, why is that significant? I'll tell you why. Because when the Messiah comes, the Bible says that God is going to step down in response to their cry and defeat their enemies. You've heard about it as the Battle of Armageddon. You say, when's that going to happen? I don't have a clue when it's going to happen. But I'll tell you this, according to the teachings of the word of God, when that does occur, the whole world is going to begin to celebrate the Jewish feast. And the only way you can do that is to have the Jewish calendar because it's predicated upon a different cycle than our calendar. Now, let me explain why that matters to you. In Hebrew, the letters have numerical equivalents. Not only that, they have pictograms that depict each numeral of the, uh, each letter of the alphabet. I'm going to show you some of the, the numerals in just a moment. We just rolled this past uh, September. We, we crossed over September 15 and se- through 17. You say, why? Why three days? We have one new year. We crossed over into their new year. It's because their day begins on the, at six o'clock in the evening and they take two days to declare a new year. Two days. Because it lines up with a lunar calendar and they have to see the faintest sliver of the moon. And so they give two days. And therefore, from September 15, 6 p.m. until September 17, You know, 6 p.m. for us would be, that's two days. Okay, looks like three, but it really isn't. And and the reason that that matters is simply because each one of the numbers of their new year, each one of those numbers has significance in terms of the picture that is drawn that it represents. Huh. So they begin their year 5,000. 784 two months ago and here we are 2023 and it's almost like the Chinese year I think we or what year of the rabbit right now who cares you know but when it comes to this calendar it matters now if you're Chinese origin that, that would matter to you because of your culture And so by putting these letters or numbers together, you actually are communicating a message that according to many rabbis has tremendous significance. There's a whole study in that. Dematria, I think, is is, if I'm saying it correctly. And some of you probably know way more about this than I do. And if you want to know the truth, 
the nation of Israel in Hebrew is not the only language that does this. When you look at Chinese, it is astonishing. The Chinese symbol characters for boat, the way you write boat in Mandarin Chinese is to show a boat with, guess how many people in it? Eight. The same number that was in Noah's flood. Whenever you write the word flood, it shows a boat with eight people in it and a few more characters. You think that's coincidence? There are a whole lot of things that line up like that. And we just began the Hebrew year 5784. And if you want to pronounce the letters, it's high, Zayin, Het, and Dalit. And that, I want to show you the, the symbols and go through them quickly. Because I've got a word for you. The word, hey, hey, H-E-I, the first number that is up behind me is an interesting symbol because five is what that means. Five, seven, eight, four, right? This is the five right here. Five is what? Five is the number of grace. It's a number of multiplication. There were the five-fold ministry gifts of, of pastor, apostle, teacher, prophet, evangelist. There were the five loaves that Jesus multiplied. This is the symbol of multiplication. Now, whenever God told childless Abraham, I'm going to give you a son and through you all nations will be blessed. You know what God did to change the significance of his status as being fatherless? He added this letter to Abraham's name, making it no longer Abram, but Abraham. It's found in the name of God twice. All God has to do is speak one word over you and it will change your situation for as long. I need a better amen from somebody. Oh, somebody ought to give God a shout. And the, the symbol itself represents a hand. But it's not your hand, it's the hand of God. When God extends his hand to you, everything in your life can change in a moment of time. I've come to speak over somebody's life today. You are entering a season of grace. If that's a word for you, you need to accept that, receive that. Give God thanks for it and say, I'm stepping into grace right now. Amen. God can't give you if his hand is closed. But you can't receive if yours is not open. It requires an open hand on both the party that is giving and the one who is the recipient. The second number seven is the letter Zayin, and it means completion. And that's it behind me. It is considered to be, in Hebrew studies, a lucky number, a number that designates favor. Might be a better way to say it. There were seven creative days, seven days in a week, the seven spirits of God, Isaiah 11, seven dispensations as God's grace is revealed to mankind. There are seven sayings of Christ upon the cross, seven golden candlesticks, seven letters to the seven churches of Asia, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, on and on and on again. 
The number seven symbolizes completion. Amen. The way it is drawn, it is the symbol of a shaft, a vertical shaft that is also capped with a, almost like a hook. And the shaft represents, according to what I have looked at online from a number of different rabbinical sources, it represents, when that shaft appears, it is the direct light of the creator that is coming down. It's probably what happened when Jesus was baptized. When there suddenly was heard a voice from heaven. That little symbol on top represents a crown. The shaft also represents a sword. This is where it really gets fascinating to me. Because the sword to us is the word of God. But the crown represents authority. Now back to what I was saying. If you want to change the season that you're in, take the word of God, exercise your authority as a believer and say, that ends right now. I'm moving into a new season of grace in my life. Everything I've I've been fighting, that's stopping today. Stopping right now. What is really fascinating to go to another level is that symbol not only represents a sword with a crown on the top, it also means nourishment, our food. So how do you get out of one war, one word rather, war and nourishment? It's real simple. Let me say it like this. We're about to enter the holiday season. Do you know that for many believers, this is one of the most coronal seasons of the year? Because they forget all about God. All they're doing out there takes their mind off the cross and they focus upon what can I buy and what can I, am I going to get and what can I give? And, and we're getting in debt until you're buried up to your eyeballs. Now I'm not <laughs> Mr. Scrooge. So I want you to be a blessing to your family. But in the middle of this, if you're going to walk in the grace of God and you're going to have authority, you need to use the sword of the word of God to fight for your daily food and your daily devotion. Somebody say, I'm not losing my devotion. Would you do that right now? Come on. I'm not letting it go. I'm not getting caught up in all of that commercialism. It's not going to happen. And the third letter The third number, third letter, is het. And it means new beginnings and transformation and revival. And the word refers to life. And the symbol or character goes literally back. Notice the way that it's made. You'll see this flat surface across the top, but notice the two vertical lines that are underneath it. Rabbis say those represent the pillars on each side of the door of your house that whenever Moses led Israel out of Egypt that they had to put the blood upon for them to be protected as we enter this season don't you get caught up in all of this stuff of fear and gloom no God's got you covered in the middle of all of this if you will stay in the word of God Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God's got you covered in the middle of all of this.
no matter what goes on out there, no matter what's happening out there. So you don't bury your head in the sand and be oblivious to everything that is going on. But don't you live in fear either. Why? Because he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Tell somebody, God's got me covered. Would you do that? God's got me covered. I need somebody to say it. God's got me covered. That's a word for somebody that's worried. God's got you covered. I am releasing in this house today a breakthrough in somebody's life. God's got you covered. Hallelujah. And the final letter, Dalet. Okay, five, seven, eight, four. Dalet speaks of time. Time was created on the fourth day in Genesis 1. And whenever God concludes that, there are some rabbis out there that are saying that what that meant. Now, you say, how do you know if they're true? I am a pastor and I'm going to present it to you and then you. You take it. Because here's what I want you to understand. If you are focused on the wrong things, life never does does go well. If you want to change the quality of your life, change the quality of your thinking. Hallelujah to the Lamb of Almighty God. So when we talk about where we're living and what time it is, That's significant because the symbol for Dalet actually is the symbol for a door. That's what that means. A door. Is there anybody that is about to go through a door into a different season? You're tired of being in the one that you were in. You're tired of being held back. I want to speak a word of authority over somebody right now. I want to speak against enemy forces that would like to hold you back. And I want to speak in the name of Jesus that there is a season of an open heaven coming over somebody's life. Stand with me. At Inspire Church, we are literally in a season of an open door. An open heaven. Every head is bowed. I want to see the hands of those in this building. That as we stand at a moment. Where grace. Coincides. With the other things that I have mentioned. That you will declare that I'm stepping into a season of grace and my season of opposition. You hear me, devil? It's ending right now. Five is grace. Seven is completion. It's done. Do you hear me, Satan? Do you hear me, enemy? Rejoice not against me, O thou, mine enemy. Though I fall, I shall arise. God is doing something in me and in my family. So I'm declaring grace. I'm stepping into grace. 
Just put your foot out. I'm stepping into grace. Stepping into grace. I'm declaring the past season that was so difficult over. Somebody say over. Ended. Hallelujah. 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 I'm declaring I'm coming into a season of a new beginning. I'm moving into a new season in my life. God's going to do a new thing. I'm moving to a new place. God's doing a new work inside of me. God's going to give me new grace. There's new manna. I've got a new name. And I declare that will be the season of an open door, an open heaven over my life. So if you're here today and you need God with every head bowed, raise your hand right where you are and say, pray for me. Hands going up all over the building. Keep raising them. God bless you. God, oh, my Lord. My Lord. I pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. And you join with me in your prayer. Father, I pray that you will forgive us of every sin. There are some doors we need to close. We won't open doors, but we want the right doors to be open. And today we've lived our lives as we pray, yielding to the influence of things that came through the wrong doors. And we declare those things to be ended. And a new season is beginning this morning. Be our Lord and Savior, rule and reign. Be the crown that is over us as we embrace the word of God and step into this time of grace. Be the Lord to whom we look and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And I want to welcome every one of you that just prayed that prayer. Let's have a party for a moment. Come on, let's have a party. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with us on the screen behind me there, is a number that you can go to, you can text to. We'll set up an appointment for baptism. Please go on, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't stop with just a prayer. You need the empowerment of God's Spirit every day. Get water baptized in the name of Christ to identify with Him. Go on, become a Bible-believing member of a local church somewhere, and we'd love to have you as part of our family. And Now, this is what I want us to do. I feel like the world is in an extremely critical place. I don't think you need much discernment to figure that out. And I want every one of us who can and who would like to, to come and stand here this morning and close this service with a prayer for our family members, for what's happening in the world, for revival to come. The world is caught up in the tug and pull of forces right now that are seeking to destroy it. And on one hand, hand, you have the nations. And on the other hand, you have the little nation of Israel crying out, And reminding God that you're going to be my father and your mercies will never depart from me. 
And God's watching all of this. And I happen to believe that insofar as the peril the world is in, I don't even think they know how dangerous this is. I don't. But I do know this. Intercessors can make a difference. I see a few of you believe that. I said intercessors can change things. I'm reminded of Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh and preach 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. He said, not me. He said, I know you too well. You're God of mercy. They'll repent and next thing you know, you'll change the date and I'll look stupid. So he took off the other direction and that's exactly what happened. God stopped him. You know the story, don't need to tell it. He ends up at Nineveh and says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the king of Nineveh led the country in a fast. And God said, I've heard their cry. After three days fasting, he pushed destruction back 200 years. You don't have to let the devil have one thing in your life. Would you lift up your hands with me? Father, oh, I feel the presence of your Holy Spirit so strong. God, I come to you on behalf of families, young people. We stand in the gap in behalf of, on behalf of nations. We stand in the gap on behalf of revival. We declare that the day of grace has not ended. Your hand is still extended and open. We declare revival is coming to America. Revival is coming to our families. I declare revival is coming to my own heart. We haven't even begun here at Inspire Church, Lord. We want to be that place in Houston where your spirit reigns and rules with authority, where you can meet with your people and where destinies can be decided and lives transformed. I pray for, I feel such a burden to pray for this. That every person and individual in this altar, in this room, who is facing fragmented family situations, I speak healing in their home. I speak healing to that husband who's still driven by things that happened in his life years ago and can't enjoy the kind of relationship that he needs to have with his wife right now because of the pain he's never been able to overcome. I speak healing to that woman who doesn't know how to let the walls down. I speak restoration 
under an open heaven. Father, would you speak the value and significance into every heart in life with which you cherish them? My God.